you've got 10 days until Christmas. 10 more days until we not only celebrate the birth of Christ, but, you know, we, we get all the extras too. We get to sing the songs, we get to share meals with our families, we get to gather together, and, oh yeah, we, we get to open presents too. And uh, I have to admit, I still like presents an awful lot. Um, uh, is nothing quite like seeing under the tree and, and there's a box that's got your name on it and you look at it and, uh, and from the time you're really young, you learn, you learn what a shirt box looks like, right? I mean, you, and you know, it's a little flimsier and uh, suddenly you realize it's not a shirt box. It's not a cleverly wrapped pair of socks. It is an actual present and it has weight and it has mass and you, you shake it a little bit and you, you kind of size it up and you try to determine what is in that package and you wait in eager anticipation for the day when it will be open and all will be revealed. We love surprises. Well, we, we usually love surprises. Not all surprises come dressed in wrapping paper. Some surprises come wearing a lab coat. Some surprises come with a diagnosis. Some surprises come with a 911 call. Some surprises come in the mail with the words, we regret to inform you. And some surprises change our lives. They change our lives forever. They change our lives irreversibly, devastatingly, heart-wrenching. And suddenly, we don't like surprises anymore. You know, every week I, I look over our list of prayer requests Every week we take phone calls during the week. It's not just that we have prayer requests on Sunday morning. We take phone calls during the week. We get emails during the week with prayer requests. We get text messages from people who have had a, a very sudden and desperate need for prayer in their lives. And, and very often the, the need is that there's been an accident or, or there's been a, a health concern or they've lost a job. And suddenly their lives have been changed by a great unknown and they want prayer and it's more than just prayers of comfort we like to pray prayers of comfort we like to pray prayers of peace i like to pray that people will remember that god is with them you may have heard me pray that a few times i always want people to know that no matter what they're going through that god is there and i try to pray that prayer that that they would be reminded of that but people want more than that they want healing uh, they want whatever the problem is, they want it fixed, and they want it fixed now. They want wholeness. They want to know that they're going to come out ahead. They want to know that all of these plans that they've made for their lives are not going to be interrupted, that things are going to go on just the way they always thought they would. And so in their heart of hearts, suddenly there is this new surprise. The surprise isn't just the, the sudden need, but the new surprise is... How is God going to answer this prayer? And if we're honest with them, we don't know. We don't know how God's going to answer that prayer. We don't know what he's going to do. And this can lead to a real crisis of faith. You know, I can give you name after name, person after person, people that I know, people who I have loved and cared for, who in that moment of crisis, when they didn't know the future, gave up everything. They just threw their faith away. In that moment of devastation, they gave up and they walked away from God because prayers were not answered the way they wanted them to be answered. Lives did not follow their plan. And the sad reality is, if we're not careful, we can end up in that same place. We get hung up 
sometimes on the things that, that we don't understand. We don't know how God's going to answer prayer. We don't know how plans are going to turn out. We don't know what the future holds. And when it all finally comes apart at the seams, if we're not careful, will we come apart also? What can we hold on to no matter what? What is there in our lives that is unshakable? Romans chapter 8, verse 28, is one of those verses that, that we love to throw around. It's one of those verses that looks great on a Hallmark card. It, it sounds great, and we kind of use Romans eight twenty-eight as a band-aid. Any, any spiritual hurt, any problem someone is facing, we can take that like a band-aid and we can just put Romans 8.28 over it. We can say, here, this will fix it. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. We can just put that on there, you know, and, and you've got people facing problems and, and they're, they're just devastated. And you say, well, you know, Romans 8.28, all things work together. And their response is, oh, thank God. I had no idea. That is such a relief. All things work together. No, that's not their response. That's not how it works. That's not how life works. And this verse is much deeper than that. This verse is about when everything else falls apart, what do I have left to hold on to? When nothing else is certain, what can I still trust in? Romans 8.28, one little verse, gives us five unshakable convictions. Five unshakable convictions. Five truths that you can know with certainty. So that when everything else does fall apart, you can still stand firm. You can stand on this. Romans 8.28 starts out with the words, we know. You hear that? We know. It's not, we hope. It's not, well, we, we think. It's not, well, we pray. It's not even, well, you know, if we, if we pray enough and if we, if we give enough money and we do all the right things, maybe if we get lucky, this is true. It says, we know. And the very first thing that we know is something that gives us an anchor to hold on to everything. We know that God works. Now I have to say, most of us learned Romans 8.28. In fact, I still remember when I learned this verse, when I first heard this verse. When I first read it, I didn't even know it was in the Bible. I read it in a little book and I said, that's amazing. I've got to find this. Is this in the Bible somewhere? And someone finally showed it to me in the Bible. Said, this is great. This is the best verse ever. But when you and I learned it, we probably learned it, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord, right? Did you know how you learned it? All things work. That's the way we learned it. And grammatically, that's okay. That's a good translation. All things work together. It, it says what it needs to say. But it takes, it, it flows well, but it takes the attention off of God. All things do not work some things that are very broken. You got any things in your house that are broken? <laughs> yeah? And you keep them around anyway because you're married to them and uh, <laughs> can't get rid of them, won't leave. You got some things in your life that are broken? I have a toaster oven uh, 
that my wife has thrown away at least once, and I've gone back and drug it out. And it's missing a knob. And she says, it's broken. But you know what? It still works. I have a pipe that I stick on it, and I turn, and, and I've made my own knob, and, and it, it works just fine. It does the job. It's, it's a little blackened in spots, but it's okay. It still works. There's some things in our lives that don't work. Things don't always work. Some things are broken, and there are some things in your life, not only are they broken, but they will break you. They will break you down. This verse isn't about the things that work. If we're, very, if we're not careful with this verse, this verse becomes kind of an idea of, of fatalism. You know a fatalism? Where we just sit back and we say, Everything's going to work itself out. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. And the reality is, no, it won't. Things do not work themselves out. Some things are very, very wrong, and things are not in control. Who is in control? You guys know who's in control? God's in control. God is in control. So who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust God, or are you going to trust things? We know that God works. He has not abandoned you. That hymn that we sing this time of year, that Christmas carol, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. God works. And he is ceaseless in his working. He is energetic in his working. He's never going to phone it in for you one day. Or he's not going to show up for work because he's busy someplace else. God is not like that. He has not abandoned you he is ceaseless. He will not stop working. He is energetic. He will always work. And he is purposefully active on your behalf. And the very first thing that this verse tells us is you can know that. God works. Five unshakable convictions in this one little verse. This is not about what we hope for. This is about what we know. And because we know that God works, we can know that God works in all things. There are a lot of things that take us by surprise. Some surprises are pleasant. Some of them are not so pleasant. Back in May you guys gave us a very pleasant surprise. We were very surprised when we were called up front back at the TLC, and we were told that we were being shipped out of the country, and we were being given this vacation. That was a very pleasant surprise. We had no idea that was coming, and you surprised us that morning. For those of you who are you know, over here, it was, a, it was a great day. They, they surprised us. That was in May. Then in September, I had a not-so-pleasant surprise when on Labor Day in September, I ended up in the hospital. I ended up in the hospital with high blood pressure, and part of the high blood pressure was, you know, part of it's genetic, part of it's just part of makeup, but, but a big part of it was stress. Stress was a big part of that. Now, did you guys know I was going to the hospital in September? No, I didn't know I was going to the hospital. I didn't know. You guys didn't know. You know who did know? God knew I was going to the hospital in September. And God knew that we were going to the Dominican Republic in December. Isn't it amazing how those things work together? 
how in the middle of this stress, suddenly you guys had blessed us with a very big stress reliever. Does that, did God know about that? Yes, he did know that because God works in all things. Nothing takes God by surprise. Therefore, you can trust him with all things. And beyond that, there's something else that we can know. And we know this from another verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 is that one little verse that tells us that God is love. God is love. That that is his very nature. Therefore, any interaction that you have with God, any interaction that we have with God, the goal on his part is always going to be love. And so in all things, we can be certain that God's goal for us is love. Now, if you jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we've got that great love chapter that you guys like to read and you like to send it in cards and you remind your spouse of it around Valentine's Day or so. You know, love is patient, love is kind. We love that scripture. You ever notice how that passage ends there in verses 7 and 8? It ends with the words, love bears all things. And if, if God is love, then God bears all things with us, right? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. God never fails you. In all the things in your life, God will not fail. And in all those things in your life, God will not fail to love you. And precisely because God is love, Romans 8.28 reminds us that we can know that God works in all things for the good. Well, God himself is good. You learned that when you were a kid, right? You'd get ready to pray right before a meal, and you'd, your parents or someone taught you, you fold your hands, you say, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food. You learned that little prayer? Maybe you learned it from Psalm 136 that says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his love endures forever. So if God is good, and he is, since God is good, and since God is working in all things, how can he do anything but work all things for your good? God works in all things for the good. That is a, a conviction. That is unshakable. That is something that you can hold on to. Now, obviously... That still does not mean that all things are good. You get that, right? Not all things that happen in your life are good. You know, in fact, if you go back to verse 17 of Romans chapter 8, you go back to, to verse 17, and, and Paul says right there that, that, uh, that we will suffer with him, that we will suffer with Christ. Does that sound good? Does it sound good to suffer with Christ? No. Now, suffering in itself does not sound good. I'm not in favor of that, but, but it says that we will do that. In verse 23, it talks about how all creation is groaning for eager anticipation for, for the sons of God to be revealed. That means that we are groaning for the day that we all get to go to heaven. And if you're like me, every morning when you get up, there's a new groan, you know? There's a new sound that you're making. That you're like, I don't remember that creek being there yesterday. And, 
every day is just a little bit more groaning than you did the day before. Are those groanings good? No, they're not good. But it doesn't change our assurance that God is working, that God is good, and therefore that God is working for your good. If you go back just a couple chapters to chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 3 starts out, he says, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. What? Why on earth do we rejoice in our sufferings? Because God is at work in all things for our good. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, you might find yourself in a position like Joseph. Remember Joseph back in the Old Testament? Remember Joseph? You guys remember him back in, back in Genesis? Joseph who, who goes to his brothers and says, I've had this dream, and in the dream, you're all bowing down to me. And in the dream, mom and dad, they're bowing down to me. And his brothers decide right then and there, we've got to get rid of this guy. You know, we've got to get rid of this dreamer. We don't want to bow down to him. So what did they do? They threw him in a well. They... Uh, they sold him into slavery. They told his dad that he was killed, that he'd been torn apart by wild animals. And, and Joseph's life is just one horrible thing after another where he's, he's, uh, he's sold into slavery, then he ends up in jail. And for decades, he spends decades without his family, decades before he finally meets them again. But in that time, God is doing wonderful things through Joseph. And Joseph becomes the second in command in all of Egypt. And one day, his brothers come back and they do indeed bow down to him. Remember the end of Genesis? Genesis chapter 50. Joseph's father has passed away, and his brothers get worried. They say, Dad's dead. Joseph's, you know, maybe he's just been nice to us because Dad, you know, made him be nice to us. What if now that Dad's gone, Joseph's going to get even with us? And so they go to him, and they say, hey, the last thing Dad said, they lie to him. They lie to him again. And they say, hey, the last thing Dad said before he died was, you have to be nice to us. Remember what Joseph tells them? Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph says, What you intended for evil, God meant for good. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He said that after decades of suffering, after decades in prison, after being separated from his family. But through those decades, there was this unshakable conviction that God was at work in his life. What you meant as evil, God meant for good. Think about that, and I think that there's probably some of us today who struggle with that, because there's somebody who, who did us wrong at some point. There's somebody who, who wanted to see evil done to us, and so they did something to us and maybe you still struggle with that. And maybe you struggle with forgiveness for that person. Part of the beauty of what you can know, that God it works in all things for the good, what you, part of the beauty of that is that you can know that even though they may have intended evil, and even though you may still struggle with forgiving that person, God can use that for good. God can use that to bring about good in your life. We need to understand that. That kind of... That kind of unshakable conviction is not one way. 
though. There has to be a relationship there. And that's why we also see here in Romans 8.28 that God works in all things for the good of those who love Him. You know, we want the Bible, we really want the Bible to be a book of, of blessings for everyone. We want the Bible to be a book of general blessings that anyone and everyone can have. And that's why we put Bibles in hotel rooms. That's why we put Bible verses everywhere. And that's why we, you know, put John 3.16 up and, and here and there. And we, we throw these verses around. We want it to be a book of, of general blessings for everyone. And you know what? It isn't. This book is not for everyone. This book is for people who are in a covenant with God, who are in a relationship with God, these words are for someone who loves God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul says, Eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. And it would be really easy for us to fall into some sappy, sentimental idea and say, of course we love God. Of course we love Him. How can you not love Him? He's such a nice old guy. Of course we love God. I mean, look, look at Him. He's so cute up there on His cloud. His big old white beard and everything. That's Santa Claus. That's not God. We think, of course we love God. And it's easy to fall into this very sappy, sentimental idea. You know, we get all these warm fuzzies and we, we sing these pretty songs and we talk about, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? That's not what this is about. This is not some superficial love. This is not some optimism that's available for, for everyone. This is not fodder for Hallmark cards. This verse does not belong on a Hallmark card. This is a promise for people who are in a relationship with God. Do you remember what Jesus says about loving Him? About loving God? Do you remember what Jesus says in, in John chapter 14, verse 15? Jesus says to you and me, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now that's something that belongs on a Hallmark card right there. Valentine's Day is just, just, one, just two months away, guys. Valentine, Tom, Valentine's Day is two months away. You've got to buy, I can just see Tom right now. He's going to go to Hallmark, and Tom's going to get him one of those big red heart-shaped cards, you know. He'll eat all the candy out of the box, so he gets the card instead. And Tom's going to open up the card. He's going to write a little message to Teresa, and, and because Teresa likes the Bible, he's going to throw a verse in. He's going to write down John 14, 15. If you love me... You will keep my commands. That will be the very last Hallmark card you will ever have to buy. You will never have to buy another card. We can't do that, can we, guys? You can't do that either, ladies. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. I know you want to, but you can't. You know why? Because you don't know everything. <laughs> because we're not in the same kind of covenant. We, you don't always know the best for us, but God does. And that's why God can say, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Now this verse, these convictions, are that God works in all things for the good of those who love Him. 
You don't love God by doing whatever you want. You got that? You understand? If you love me, you will keep my commands. You don't love God by doing whatever you want. The fact is, if we went back just one chapter back to chapter 7, remember chapter 7, verse 15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very things that I hate. Does that sound like a loving relationship with God? Paul's talking about the struggle, the pull of sin to to pull us away from obedience, to pull us away from that relationship with God. And it's not a loving relationship. It's, It's all about conflictedness. It's all about uncertainty. There's no promise there. But if you love God, it will be seen in your obedience. It will be seen in that relationship with Him. And then you can know that He is working in all things for your good. And that leads us to one final unshakable conviction that will change your life. And that is the conviction that God works in all things for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I have to confess, there is one thing that drives me nuts. There's one thing that people says, and you may have said it, I know I've said it before too, but it's one thing that absolutely drives me nuts. And that is when somebody says, everything happens for a reason. You know, everything happens for a reason. I'm not an everything happens for a reason kind of guy. I guess it is true, but if we're really honest, sometimes the reason is that you did something stupid, right? Sometimes the reason some things happen is because you were disobedient, because you took a path that you should not have taken, that you made some bad choices. Sometimes the reason things happen is because you were genetically predisposed to certain conditions, And sometimes the reason things happen is because we live in a fallen, sinful world where death rules. And we are subject to the laws of this world where bad things sometimes happen to very good people. Not every thing has a purpose. But the promise of God for you, for those who love Him, is that you have a purpose. The promise of God is that you have a purpose. And it is an eternal purpose. God has reached into your life right here in 2013 and has called you out of time into eternity for an eternal purpose. A purpose that will outlive you. An eternal plan. I I don't know how many times... I've taken us back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is an amazing chapter. Ephesians chapter 1 will tell you exactly who you are in Christ. It will give you conviction after conviction that you can stand on. Unshakable convictions of who you are in Christ. If you are in a relationship with God, there are things in Ephesians chapter 1 that you can know to be certain. In in verse 5 of Ephesians 1, Paul says, He, God, predestined us for adoption as sons 
through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Okay? He predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of His will. And then just a few verses later in verse 11, it says, In Him, that is in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works in all things. Who works all things according to the counsel of His will. There is something greater in your life than the things that you're going through right now. There is something eternal. There is something that is a part of the purpose that God has for your life. A God-given purpose that will result in good. Now listen to me. Listen to me, Christians. Your life is not some random mess where you are at the mercy of fate. Your life is not some random mess where you are at the mercy of failure. There are things that are going to happen in your life that will surprise you, that will knock the wind out of you, that will leave you reeling. And in those moments, when those things come along, don't focus on the things that you don't know. Focus on who you do know. You have an unshakable hope. You have a certain eternity. And you have a God who loves you very much. And so for us, it comes down to the end of Romans chapter 8. It comes down to us at the very end of Romans 8. Verse, verse 31. What shall we say then? to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And no matter what we face, no matter what things come our way, we can have the certainty of Romans 8, Paul says, beginning in verse 37, he says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am certain, I am sure, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither the present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I only, I only have one question for you. And that question is this. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Are you able to stand on these unshakable convictions? And if, if you're not there yet, if you're not at that point where you can stand and say, yes, these, these five things are true of me because I am in a relationship with God, because I love God, because I've given myself to Him. If you're not there yet, we want to help you. We want to love you. We want to help you through that. We want to help you to have that certainty. You've heard me say it over and over again. Everybody gets one really bad day, right? You've heard me say that? 
Everybody gets one really bad day. And when that one really bad day comes, when there is nothing left to hold on to, when there is nothing to stand on, you can hold on to him. And you can know that he's holding on to you. If that's what you need today, if you need that certainty, we want to pray with you. We want to welcome you. We want to help you to have something to stand on. We're going to we're going to sing here in a moment. And if you want to come and let us pray with you during that time, we would love to do that. Let's stand together.